You are now listening to Chomp Chats, conversations to enhance the Gator family experience. I have the emotional parental reactions that every other parent has, where not just I want to fix it, but also just the, the, that sort of sense of like, oh my God. And, and I have to roll myself back sometimes and say, all right, stop panicking. We've seen student after student in 27 years, they get it. Welcome back to Chump Chats. I am your host, Shaquille Lowe, and this is part two from a conversation I had with Lynn Osiki, who's an academic advisor and UF family ambassador. Lynn relies on her experience as an academic advisor to help her create a healthy student and family relationship with her son and daughter. Here's more from our conversation. Well, it took me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and so I always say that I think it's important for people to remember that the university space is a meeting of the minds and people are yes. learning from all different avenues. So it's in the classroom and then a plethora of ways outside the classroom that they are learning. How did you do it? You say it's not always been that way, but did it just happen one day and you're like, okay, I'm just going to let my student believe X, Y, Z. Like, how did you do that? How did you come one with the fact that your student was changing before your eyes? Because I recognized I couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't convince him my way. I tried that. <laughs> it didn't work. And I saw how much passion he really has about his beliefs right now. I mean, he is extremely passionate about what he thinks is wrong with our world and what he thinks needs to change. Um, and how can I, like, how can I deny that passion? He He's, first of all, I can't get through to it. Like, I'm not going to change his mind. His life experience is different than mine. And so just like, you know, you would, I think, with a family member, a brother or a sister, let's let's sort of start with that. Somebody who you're, you know, you're actually close with, um, but you find that they're in a different place in terms of like their opinions. You don't say, you have to, you have to take my opinions, right? My son's an adult. He doesn't have to take my opinions. In I believe his opinions will change as he gets older, as he experiences more of life. They might not. I don't control any of that. So you have to come to terms with these things. You have to recognize that your student is who they are, that the sum of their experiences influences them. And that it isn't because he went to college that he has these opinions. He found people at college who had similar opinions, and that made him more vocal about it. Mm -hmm. Now, is this the same way that you approach advising our students in terms of classes? I just want to know. Because <laughs> I know, you you know, there's certain things that you can tell them. But once they walk out of your office, it's like, well, they might yeah. not sign up for that. Like, is that Absolutely. the same relationship? Absolutely. And, and I think even more so because, you know, I don't have that emotional, the same emotional tie. I have an emotional tie to actually a bunch of my students. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, just because... Sometimes it gets the best of us. Yeah. I know. <laughs> well, and also, the you know... If you sit down and spend a half an hour with another human being, especially one who comes in with a concern, uh, with a problem, you get a little into who they are. And often you share, I share my own experience. I nearly flunked out of college. I'm so grateful I went to college when colleges were much more forgiving. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> when, you know, four-year graduation wasn't such a big thing. Took me six years. Yes. Um, when, you know, the debt issue wasn't as big, although thank God at UF, we don't have anywhere near the debt issue that we have at, um, across the country. But yeah, when a student comes in and they're talking to me, what I'm really trying to do is 
again, help them identify um, what's the reality. So what I was talking about with that one young lady, like, let's not start panicking about your grades until we see what your grades actually are. And let's see what, what your opportunities are to improve those grades. So if you've got one exam and it's 30% of your grade and, you know, two quizzes, so you've still got an opportunity. So part of it is just like, let's get the reality on the ground to start with. And then the other piece is to get students. My, my ultimate goal is not to make any decisions for students because that, that would be ridiculous. How mm -hmm. could I possibly know somebody well enough in half an hour to make a decision for a student? Instead, what I really want to do is I want to help students question the assumptions on which they make decisions. So I'll give an example. Um, we will have students who come in all the time, and I want to make clear I am not uh, saying that the minor I'm about to mention is a bad minor to pursue. But we'll have students in liberal arts and sciences who come in and they'll say, I'm going to do a business minor. And I'll say, okay, so why? <laughs> and, and then there's this moment, and then they'll sort of say, well, because it'll look good. And I'm like, who's looking? Right. Okay. So what they're saying is it'll look good on my resume. And I'm saying, what kinds of employers are looking at your resume? Do they care whether you had an accounting class? Do they care whether you had an economics class? If you want to have a position in human resources and training, if you want to have a position working in a nonprofit, Honestly, or if you want to work in business, there's a lot of businesses, a lot of entrepreneurial businesses. They don't care whether you know anything about accounting. They hire accountants. They're not, they, this is not important to them. So it's really important to me to challenge students' assumptions about things like that. It, um, most of the time it works fairly well because students will stop and question. Sometimes students are like completely taken aback by the question because they just assume this, if it looks good, it's good. You know, that's important. So um, it's what I usually work students around to is something more along the lines of, well, let's figure out what it is you think you want to do, the kinds of fields you're interested in. What are those employers looking for? It might not be a business minor. It might be a leadership minor. It might be a communication studies minor. Maybe no minor at all. Maybe they would rather see you do an internship. Maybe they'd, it's better to do some job shadowing or some informational interviewing. There's or just having service experience. Maybe they want to see that you're somebody who commits and gets involved and, you know, those kinds of things. Most employers are most interested in general work experience. Are you reliable? Do you show up for work? Are you trustworthy? Not only do you show up for work, but will you do your best for the company? Do you work hard? You don't have to kill yourself, but most employers are interested in somebody who tries who really tries. And what most employers really don't like is somebody who just goes through the motions. And even if it's not a job that you think you ever want to do in your life, whether it's flipping burgers or lifeguarding or waitressing, I did tons of waitressing and bartending myself. The reality is having somebody who can write you a reference that says, hey, this person, you can rely on them to show up for work. This person throws himself into it, even when it's flipping burgers. They mm -hmm. will do the job. They will do it well. They care. That's what employers value. And so when you start to talk to students about what employers are looking for, minors kind of fall by the wayside. 
certainly it doesn't hurt to build certain skills depending on the field that you're interested in. But at the same time, remembering we a lot of our students have never had a job because school work is so challenging in high school nowadays and all of the things the travel teams and mm-hmm. the, it is all the things so, that they 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 put on the resumes yes. to you know get to university level so yes but then when it gets to employment a lot of employers they want to see that actual work show me actual work and students it's a little terrifying if you've never had a job I'm I was you know I worked from the time I was 14 on, started on Saturdays, you know. Part of it was I was I worked for my dad to begin with, and then I worked in many other places. But um, So that made it a little easier. But I know lots and lots of people in my era, <laughs> <laughs> right, who, who worked. Everybody worked after school. Um, it was just something that you did. And, and this generation lacks that opportunity. And honestly, it's scarier at 19 to go out for that first job than it is at 15 when you're like, uh, you know, I'll do anything. I'll do like anything. That. I can, yeah, I can make cold calls for True Green Chemlon, you know, <laughs> which I did. Because <laughs> you can, you know, you're 15, whatever. <laughs> I think about, I don't know, just shameless book. I don't know, just to talk about myself, but I think about my first job. I was 16 years old and I was a receptionist at a funeral home. And I was so excited about doing that. And it taught me so much. Oh, yeah. But right now I'm thinking, what in the world made me want to go to a funeral home? <laughs> so like, even now, like years later, I'm thinking, yeah, I was ambitious at that time. I wanted a job. I wanted to learn these types of things. Yeah. So you mentioned this in terms of minors. But how important is it for students to figure out their why and understand their passions when they're selecting a major? It's, it's very important, although I really also want to stress that um, there's a lot of students who don't find, like, this dream major. That's actually, it's a myth to some extent. Even when people love a subject area, it does not mean that major suddenly slots everything into place for their whole lives. So uh, I'll just give you an example. My daughter adores history. She absolutely loves history. Um, She came to UF. She hit the ground running with history. She since added a second major. But she was really sure she was going to write a thesis in history. And this weekend we had a conversation about not doing that because she sees her other major as more relevant to her career path now. And so she wants to spend the time focusing on that. And so what I have found is, and the other major, I would say there are parts of it that she is passionate about, but the major as a whole, not so much. Um, But she sees that as more connected to where she wants to go. And that has to do a lot with that development of understanding of what am I really looking for long term? So as you said, you know, Students come in, they think they're going to be engineering, or they think they're (laughs) going to be X, Y, or Z, and then they start to see the realities, right? I mean, I I can't tell you the number of students who come back after doing a job shadow, after doing an internship, and say, that is the last thing I want to do. (laughs) And you know what? That is the best experience in the world. Whereas, honestly, you know, uh, working as a receptionist in a funeral home, is great experience. One of the things I try to convey to students is you learn about yourself in a job situation. So for me, um, I waitressed, I bartended, I did a lot of service kinds of jobs. 
I learned, for example, that I could talk to strangers, and that serves me really well in advising where in our office we're not, we don't have assigned advisees. So students come in, and I might never have met that student before. I can start up that conversation. I'm comfortable with that. That's, a, that's something I learned waiting tables. Um, I learned that I really like the security of a standard paycheck. That was one of the big things about waitressing <laughs> and bartending. If you're living basically on tips, that's that for me, like, so that also taught me, like, I don't want to run my own business. I couldn't live with that uncertainty. I, you know, I really couldn't. Like, it really taught me not what exact job I was looking for, but qualities or characteristics of a career path that would make me happy. And those are the things that students don't think about. They think about the task I would do in a job. And, and they don't think about, well, is it an environment where my autonomy will be relied on? So I have to be a high autonomy person or I have to be a low autonomy person. And what I mean by that is, are you somebody that likes a lot of direction? Or are you somebody who likes to be given a task, told when to get it done, and you do it how you want? The person who likes to do it their own way when they want, that's a high autonomy person. Somebody who is low autonomy, who gets into an environment that has high autonomy means they're not going to be given any direction. They're going to be very anxious about whether they're doing the job right. And vice versa, somebody who is high autonomy in a low autonomy work environment is going to feel micromanaged and frustrated. Why don't they just let me do my job? So these are not things that students think about. They think about what would I be doing every day. They don't think about what the environment itself is like. And that's why taking the time to do some career exploration is so helpful because once students sort of narrow down into certain kinds of fields, they are getting closer to that fit of like these career paths offer the level of autonomy I want, offer the level of like for me security as opposed to risk, right? <laughs> that, but some other some people are risk 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 taking people, so it's not just my way. I'm just saying know where you are on those scales, and then you can identify career paths better. Then you can say, okay, so how does my major or majors of interest apply to that career path? What skills are they developing? Recognizing that skills can often be things like critical thinking skills, problem solving skills. They're not necessarily the content you learn in a specific class. Um, so what would you say, Lynn, to, and, and you've seen this because you've been here, you know, you, you said 27 <laughs> really years. And so I think about when families come to preview, which is our orientation, um, and sometimes family members will say, okay, I want to visit my student's advising appointment because they need to take these sets of classes, you know, and immediately when I hear it, I'm like, okay, I want your student to have that conversation. But how important is it for students to lead that charge and actually take charge of this? Because I think our family members do have a different set of experiences, like you mentioned earlier, and sometimes they feel they know a little bit more about it. We've talked about this need that you know, okay, we need our students to do this and we know how our families can support our students. How important is that? I think that there may be a family member out there that's, you know, really having a tough time understanding that. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think, you know, most of us want to avoid our children having any sort of pain or struggle. <laughs> this absolutely. is this is a, a huge, a huge challenge as a parent is to allow your student to make decisions and then figure out if they're they're uh, the right decisions or not. 
But ultimately, there is a moment in life, whether it happens during college or after college, where you will not be, be able to influence your students' decisions. They will be living their lives, and you are going to have to watch that. So you really want to kind of build those decision-making skills. And one of the ways that I really think it's important to do it is to recognize that at preview, your student is being guided and their hand held to a certain extent through that process of course selection, through that first semester process by experts, by people who are trained to work with this. In future semesters, your student may go over their schedule with you or they may not. And sometimes even if they do go over their schedule with you, they may choose to register for something completely different. Um, so what we want to do is we want to really teach students at preview how to make those decisions, where to go for help, to recognize that there are experts on campus that can assist them, not to not bounce ideas off their family members, because that's valuable and important, but to recognize that in some cases, Somebody who works at an institution might know a little bit more about some of these classes than somebody who hasn't attended college in 20 or 30 years. So we're trying to you know, use that sort of teach a, teach a man to fish philosophy, right? We're trying to give your students tools to help them select classes. If other people influence them, if, and it's not just fam family members, friends from high school constantly tell students, take this class. And again, like I said earlier, that doesn't mean that class will be a good fit for this mm -hmm. student. So it's really important to have students start to take that ownership early. And they're doing it in, in a very safe environment because there are people there watching out for them. Absolutely. And I mean, I am at peace knowing that, you know, if if the other advisors are as, I guess, 20% invested as you are in the student's experience, it actually makes me happy and warm inside because I know that no matter the advisor that students will meet with, that they will care about that student's experience. And I think that's also so important for families to remember. Yeah. And that's, that's really, when we are talking about our preview advisors, that is one of the number one things we're looking for when we select preview advisors is we're looking for people who have that genuine interest in first year students and that desire to help them and that sort of passion to, to make things less stressful for the student, to help them through the process, keep, make them less anxious and help them transition better. Awesome. So, and I know we have a finite amount of time because we could go on yes, talking we could, and obviously. talking. And in fact, maybe one day we need to do this again. We, I am really enjoying this. We totally this. could. Um, but in, in closing, so I know that we give students lots of advice. We give family members, lots of advice. They are getting instruction from just about every single angle that we can imagine. I'd like to know, Lynn, what have you found to be helpful? Like what works for you in terms of, you know, setting boundaries with your student or working with other students, you um, navigating this experience, um, releasing some of that and, you know, some of this uh, responsibility of the, the decision making. So how do you let your students do it? Can you walk me through what works for you and what would you suggest for other family members? Mostly, so for as a family member, I would say number one is I try to let my student approach me <laughs> as much as possible. Now, if I haven't heard anything for a month about how a class is going, I'm probably going to ask. Um, I think asking uh, objectives kinds of questions. So if you ask the question, 
how is this going? The answer is going to be fine. Fine or good. <laughs> fine or good. If they're making an A, it's going to be, I'm, do, I'm making an A. If, it, if they're not doing as well as they'd like, they're going to say fine. They're not typically going to volunteer unless they have that crisis moment. They're not typically going to volunteer like, well, I'm making a C plus, but I'd really like to make a, a much higher grade. Like they're going to be thinking, all right, I'm going to have to figure this out, whatever. So, you know, asking questions that actually get to information. So what kind of grade are you making in this class right now? And is it the grade that you feel like you want and can do best, you know, you can achieve in this class? Because honestly, there are some classes at UF, and this happens to most students, where your best grade might be a B, and that's in best case scenario. Um, and it, and you might start off with a C or a C minus or a bad first test or whatever it might be. And so, you know, asking questions about where students are rather than allowing them to kind of slide by with the fine. <laughs> That's number mm -hmm. one. Number two is again, helping your students get that, that dose of reality. So, okay. So you have, so you, you really would like to make a, a B plus. So how much more of the class is left? What percentage of your grade is left? What would you need to do differently to improve? And one of the things I really, really have learned to point out is talk to your professor, talk to your professor, talk to your professor. I've done it with both my kids who are completely different, completely different people. My Uber achiever <laughs> and, my, and my, it's not that he's not an achiever, but he has a lot of other things going on. But my Uber achiever will, again, she'll get these concepts like, I have to do this. I, this is what I have to do. If I don't have a you know, 97 or above on the first test, then ugh, you know, I'm not going to get the A and blah, blah, blah. And then my son will be more like, well, I'm just, yeah, I'm not sure. You know? And the reality is you have to take them both to, okay, so, so what's, what's real here? What can you do? What do you want to do? What's important to you? If really you want to come out of that class because it's not for your major and you don't need anything better than a C and you've got the GPA to maintain your scholarships and all you want is a C, then as a parent, you have to say, okay. That's you know? fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Because as long as it's not going to damage something in the process, your student is always making choices. They're making choices about whether to spend time on this class versus that class, on whether to spend time actually having a life outside of, of studying. And unfortunately at UF, some students spend way too much time studying. It's a little, it's a little sad. Or sometimes your student needs to, you know, you say, well, hey, okay, so you're not doing so well in this class. How, you know, how are you approaching it? Have you talked to the professor? How much do you, why do you think you're not doing well? It's pretty amazing how honest students are. I'll say, well, so, you know, how much did you study for that exam? Oh, well, I studied for like 16 hours. Okay, so describe a typical study session for, for me. Well, you know, I was in the library for about four hours straight. I said about how many of those four hours were you actually, actually yes. actively engaged with the material and how much of it were you staring at the page or texting with a friend or, and they'll be like, oh, about two hours. Okay, so we need to have a conversation about your study approach so that is a more effective approach so you're not, because there's nothing that'll make you more resentful than studying 16 hours and only producing six hours of study time. Like you've, you've wasted that time, you feel like you were studying, but you were miserable the whole time. Like 
make your studying productive and then don't study because you're still studying the same amount of time. So, you know, kind of helping students assess that. How are you studying? What's effective for you? What does the professor say will work? And then, of course, all the free resources on, cam- on campus. So I think I went way far away from your initial <laughs> No, but question. it's all great information. Great information. <laughs> but, you know, navigating it has to do to me with asking students real questions and making them think and assess, right? And so I have to, you know, I have the emotional parental reactions that every other parent has where not just I want to fix it, but also just the, the, that sort of sense of like, oh my God, you know, oh, the, 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 everything. And, and I have to roll myself back sometimes and say, all right, stop panicking. You've seen student after student in 27 years. They get it. Eventually they get through. They work through their problems. They figure out how to do this. I have, have so many students who honestly barely made it through UF who write to me later and tell me how good their lives are right now. And they went through lots of rough patches. They made sometimes bad decisions. Sometimes they just really had a lot to fight against the whole time. And yet I'm hearing like, here's a picture of my two-year-old. Thank you again for all that you did for listening to me. And that's really what it, you know, it's partly about is the listening piece. So, you know, trying not to be directive, but trying to Encourage your student to think, be objective, and stop being quite as sort of emotional, and also not assigning blame. So students, honestly, and I see this a lot, students stumble, and they don't recognize that, okay, I need to change my approach. Instead, they say, well, the exam really didn't ask ask the questions that, that they taught us in the class. Well, maybe they wanted you to take your knowledge and apply it in new situations. That That's a valid thing to do in college. But it isn't necessarily the way students think about the materials. So sometimes students really need to shift their thinking like, well, how can I deepen my understanding of the materials so I can use it in new situations? Mm-hmm. There are study strategies for that, but it isn't necessarily things that are cultivated in high school. So really trying to get to... What can you do as a student? And that's why I have the resources you know I have. I have a whole bunch of links on my website, how to improve your grades, questions you can ask yourself, free resources on campus. I have all of these things. And when I have conversations with students as a non-parent, they walk out of the office and I'm always stunned because they just see possibilities where they felt really scared and closed down before. And I try to do that with my own children so that I'm not being directive and I'm also not dumping my emotions back on them because part of it is as an adult as an old person um, <laughs> I should be able to shoulder a little bit of their emotion and my own worry and emotion but they're not necessarily prepared to share to 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 take the burden of your worry as well as their own anxiety about where things are going and so remembering that you're still the the parent and the adult in the room to some extent. Well, Lynn, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. And I think that many of our families will also benefit from the conversation that we've shared today. Um, But you mentioned your website. So how can you be reached? If a family member wants to see some of those resources, one, what's that website? And then two, how can you be reached? Are you 
in the family Facebooks or anything like that? How can we <laughs> yes. communicate with you? So um, our Academic Advising Center website, which is for liberal arts and sciences, but we have a lot of general information on there, is www.advising.ufl.edu. And under resources, I have uh, resources for um, improving your grades, resources for incoming students, those kinds of things. So they just click on the resources page and they'll see those things. Um, keeping in mind that our advising center is not the only advising center on campus and that the university has a complex system. Um, different undergraduate programs have different policies and procedures and so the information I put out there is more general for, the, for students in any area. I try to avoid saying, oh, if you do this, then this is guaranteed because if you're in nursing, the rules might be different. So uh, students and families really want to be accessing the advising information from their own colleges as well. And that address is www.ufadvising.ufl.edu. And there's a college advising contacts if students want to get to the website for their advising or to get contact information. Um, and then I am on all of the family Facebook pages. I have been the academic uh, kind of uh, question answerer um, from UF 2020 all the way through the new class of UF families of 2024. Absolutely. Um, and also people can feel free to email me. Again, if they go to www.advising.ufl.edu, on our staff page, my picture is there, my description is there, and my um, email address is there. Awesome. I imagine that you're going to get a few extra emails, probably from people just saying thank you. If family members have benefited as much as I have from this conversation, then I know that you know our students are in good hands. So again, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate that. Go Gators. And go Gators, absolutely. <laughs> That's all for my conversation with Lynn, but if you have any questions or you'd like to share your feedback, please visit our website at families.dso.ufl.edu or email us at ihaveagator at ufl.edu. As always, thank you for listening to Chump Chats, where we help Gator families transition to the Gator Nation. Gator Nation.